Somewhere along the way, we are told, well, that's all fine, but now you need to be productive. And if you're going to be productive, you can't possibly be creative too. So let's just get to the business of being productive. And while I understand, and there is real value in productivity, I certainly place a tremendous amount of value in productivity. I also happen to place a tremendous amount of value in creativity. And I don't think one has to come at the expense of the other. So, so for me, I feel like a large part of my work with business teams is, is really truly simply reminding people that they are inherently creative. One of the great joys for me as I started to do my work with business teams was these are smart people who have been conditioned to thinking they're not creative. And then all I have to do is show up and give them the rules. Here are the rules. Here's what you need in order to be creative. Smart people get the rules. They start applying the rules and the next thing you know, they're creating and the transformation, the joy in, in the faces when people realize they have actually done something that up until that point to them felt like a magic trick is, is I get a vicarious thrill out of that because it's, it's simply reminding people of a gift that they already have. That was Cliff Goldmarker and this is the Natural Born Thinkers podcast. Hello and welcome to Natural Born Thinkers, a podcast designed to help you think differently and live a more creative lifestyle. My name is Sam Hunter and my job is to help people tap into their creative potential to solve their biggest individual and business challenges. I set up this podcast to reveal the secret source behind the creative thinking process and to provide a perspective on how we can live a life that enables us to more confidently draw upon our natural creativity. I believe that our minds are all uniquely wired to think differently and that the world depends on our diverse creative potential. Today's guest is the incredibly talented Cliff Goldmarker, a songwriter, producer, educator and author based in the USA. In fact, Cliff has recently released his first printed book, Reason for the Rhymes, which explores how the art and practice of songwriting can help to enhance innovation capabilities. Now, I think I can safely say that a lot of folk in the corporate world, at least, might immediately bulk at the idea of songwriting and definitely singing together in the workplace. But Cliff beautifully breaks down the songwriting process into seven key elements, which, when looked at in this way, have an immediate association with key skills acquired for innovation and make an obvious argument to bring more songwriting into people's everyday. Not convinced? Well, Cliff has over 20 years of experience in the music industry and has written over a thousand songs, including a number one jazz hit for the artist Spencer and a track that was included in Keb Moe's Grammy-winning album, Oklahoma. If anyone knows the art of songwriting and the lifelong gifts this practice can deliver, it's Cliff. We start this podcast at the beginning of Cliff's music career and make our journey through his musical adventure to highlight not only how but what it takes to pursue a creative lifestyle, or indeed any goal you choose to pursue. We even go as far to write a song and perform it to prove how each step of the songwriting process sharpens your innovation skills and requires you to think differently about the challenges you face. At the end of the day, it seems that you have to write a lot of songs to make a hit and also be willing to accept that that hit may take years to bear fruit. 
So my key takeaway from my time with Cliff is that to pursue a more creative lifestyle, you must have three key things. One, practice. A commitment to practicing the key skills needed for creativity and embracing a lifestyle that positively supports these skills. Two, patience. An ability to appreciate that good ideas take time and waiting for impact is often part of the game. And three, passion. You need to be wholeheartedly committed to and in love with the dream you are chasing to give you the energy and courage you need to go the distance. Cliff might also add the need for a $100 pair of pants to give you the attitude and confidence to move forwards and that the motivation you will achieve from songwriting can be this pair of pants for you as you go on your creative journey. Hi, Cliff. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. My pleasure, Sam, and hello. I was thinking in preparation for this, when was the last time we actually got to meet in person? And I Wow. Think... <laughs> it's, yeah. it's been a minute. <laughs> yeah, a minute. I think we met in Chicago uh, when I first got to experience the great stuff that you do. You came to run a songwriting workshop for me and the employer I was working with at the time. And I've never forgotten you. And years later, now working on Natural Born Thinkers, you were literally on the first list of people I would love to have on this podcast. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come on today. I am honored. And it's nice to be remembered. (laughs) Why bring you into the podcast? Well, you have your business, Reason for the Rhymes. You are a songwriter, a producer, and an educator in helping other people produce, write, make their own songs. So I think that's amazing because you're literally multifaceted man in in the music world, in the music industry. And obviously we've all probably been watching far too much TV over the last 18 months as we've all been working around the world that we live in. And I've definitely been hitting Netflix hard and have watched the recent documentaries that all the musicians seem to be putting out there. So Taylor Swift has a documentary out there and, uh, watched that (laughs) Um, because uh, I'm not necessarily Taylor Swift's biggest fan, but I think her work ethic's amazing. And what was really fantastic about it was how she showed her approach to the songwriting process. And what I've learned from watching all of these videos is that the music, the reason for the rhyme, as it were, hits you hard at an early age. So before we chunk all the way into your career and, and where where you are today and, and what we would like to highlight in this conversation, would you be able to share with the audience a little bit more about you and your inspiration for music? Sure. So for me, it started when I was young. Eight years old, I think I began taking classical piano lessons. And I, I enjoyed music. I, I thought it was fun. Uh, It didn't necessarily immediately spark um, the desire to write songs. As a matter of fact, writing songs all the way through college for me just felt like this magic trick that was impossible. Um, But it wasn't until college that that the songwriting bug took over. And that was because a guy across the hall from me, my freshman year, had a guitar. And something about teaching myself to play the guitar changed my perspective on on music. So taking classical piano was great. I, I was always more of an ear player than I was a note reader, which meant that classical piano, while it was good for learning theory, was was always more of a challenge for me and wasn't quite as joyful 
uh, as I found the guitar to be when I started to take up the guitar. So that was at the age of, by, by then I was 18. So I'd been playing music for 10 years, but it was only when I started to play guitar that it unlocked this other part of my musical fascination. And that was the idea that I could put something into the world that was my own. So that part of it came, came quite late, really. It's amazing how even though you were playing a piano, it took a, a shift to a new instrument to open up your confidence and, I guess, maybe a more of your passion and interest in wanting to promote music out into the world. Yeah. And, and interestingly, after that, then there was no problem writing songs on piano, too. But I have a, a little bit of a, a pet theory that the piano is something that you pull yourself up to. And the guitar is something that you hug, that you hold in your arms. It just felt much more personal to me. And, and maybe that was what I needed to unlock that that desire to express myself uh, musically in a way that, that I really wasn't at that point moved to do with piano. Oh, I love that. That's a really lovely an analogy or metaphor about giving your guitar a hug and having yeah. that emotional and physical connection to help mm -hmm. you express what you have going on. But at the same time, I believe you did a political sciences degree at Stanford. What was it that kicked you from political sciences into the music industry? Well, certainly it was unexpected, even for me. Uh, when I was in my last year of school, I, because I was a political science major, I did an internship in Washington, D.C., working at the French Embassy's Cultural Service. It was a fabulous experience, but the the offshoot of that was that they offered, the French Embassy now, offered their interns an opportunity after graduating from college to go teach English in France for a year. And my initial response was, well, I'm not sure that that's that interesting to me. I, I'm, I'm already, I had taken the LSAT. I was all prepared to go to law school. Um, but then the intern coordinator said, listen, it's eight hours a week of teaching and you can pick your French city and we will cover your room and board. So it was almost an offer that I, I couldn't refuse. And what ended up happening is that in that year, since I was working so, so little uh, and I had just really begun to explore songwriting, I found a what people in my line of work call a gig in a French cafe six nights a week. So I was teaching a couple of hours a day and then going to a cafe and performing six nights a week. And after doing that for a year, everything changed. It, it felt to me like this was what it felt like a calling. And the way that I looked at it was if I go to law school now, it is highly unlikely that I will come back to music. However, if I give music a try and it doesn't work out, something tells me law school will still be there. <laughs> And, uh, and that was 30 years ago. So, so far, so good. I'm not making any promises, but so far I've decided I'm going to stick with music. Well, that's amazing. And what a wonderful image to have as your breakout into the music world of playing in a French cafe. And whereabouts in France were you? Were, were you in Paris or, or, or is it just enough for everyone to have the illusion of a quaint French cafe? Oh, it's as, as good as you can imagine. It is better. I was in a little town in Provence called Aix-en-Provence, which is this gorgeous little town with a little main street that runs through town with lots of cafes. And I was that American guy singing those songs in a cafe six nights a week. And it was all full of students from all over the world who had come to study in X. I got to pretend I was a rock star for a year. It was fabulous. <laughs> did someone ask you to come and play in the cafe or did you find or did the cafe find you? It was sort of a combination. Uh, it's funny, I haven't thought about this in a while, but the first week that I was in town in France, I didn't know anybody. 
really. So I did what, what most musicians do, which is I found the local music store. And I was in the local music store and I was playing one of the guitars in the store. And one of the uh, salespeople in the store came up to me and his girlfriend was American. He recognized some of the songs I was playing. I think I, I may have been playing an Indigo Girls song, if I remember correctly. And he said, listen, I have just sold a piano to a little cafe in town. They're looking for a musician. Would you be up for walking over there with me now? I really fell into my lap. Would you be up for walking over there with me now and doing a little audition for the manager? So I, I went over um, with the salesperson from the music store. I, I played a little piano for them. I played a little guitar. And the manager came up to me and he said, OK, you're going to play at our cafe every night. And I thought, oh, that's nice. Maybe every night for the week or every. And he said, no, every night. And, and that was it. From from that night on, it was six nights a week. Uh, oh, and by the way, on my off night, because I was so hungry to do this, I found another cafe oh. <laughs> <laughs> where I could play for the seventh night. So I really basically force fed myself performing and all of the things that go along with music for a full year. And, and by the end of the year, I only wanted more, which was an indication that I was on the right track. I guess your adventure into the music world, the creative world, so your creative adventure, I guess, you started with the classical piano, so you had a foundation, an un foundational mm -hmm. understanding of music, and right. then fell in love with the guitar, so emotionally connected, and then moved to France for a year, Mm -hmm. But then you had a serendipitous interaction or encounter. And these moments, I think we don't often sit back and reflect on the moments where our, our life pivoted or a change was made. Um, but the moment happened and your gut and your instinct took you there and you haven't looked back. So I have not. I guess fortune favors the prepared mind in terms of back your skill, but also the mind that's willing to adventure and try, try something. Well, and, and there is something to be said for the sort of family that I have, which is, and I get this question a lot, which is, so what did your parents say after you graduated from school with a degree in political science and then explain to them in rough terms that you wanted to play guitar for drunk people? <laughs> and they were wonderful. They, they knew me well enough to know that I was sincere, that this was meaningful to me and that I was going to do it seriously and not just mess around doing it. And that was enough for them. Oh, that's great. It was, it's wonderful to have supportive parents or have that oh. support to have the confidence, I think, at that age to move forwards yeah. in a direction because it's scary. So your parents had a really great perspective on trusting your talent and your work ethic, essentially, to have a shot. That's right. That's exactly right. And, you know, one of the things that, that I think a lot of us who start in music don't think about is how hard it is. It's um, it's almost uh, there's there's sort of a selective amnesia about anything that you have been told about this thing that you love being difficult so that you, you choose not to remember any of those comments. And you just go in basically blind with all of the enthusiasm in the world, which you will need, because if somebody had told me, OK, Cliff, here's the good news. You will write a song with an artist on an album that will win the Grammy. All you have to do is get up every day and do this work for 30 years. That's a lot to ask. So if I knew that one of the ultimate brass rings would be mine, but I would have to wait 30 years for it, if I had heard that at the beginning, <laughs> I don't know what I would have done. But instead, I just got started because I couldn't help it. And as, as cliche as it sounds, the journey really has been everything. Yeah. 
No, and I think sometimes people do forget that. I think going in and just getting started, taking the first step mm-hmm. is, you know, don't, and I guess we'll come to it when we talk about songwriting. Um, when I once went to a creative writing course, they said, as you sit down and write, don't think that you're going to write a, a bestseller because right. oh, first book, right. you're probably not. Just sit down and write and and go on the journey and see where it takes you. And I think people yeah. could do well sometimes as they're approaching a creative adventure. Yes, it's amazing to have a vision, but get started and somewhat just go with the flow and, and you'll get there eventually, yeah. hopefully one day. If you're lucky enough to do something that you love, and I have been that lucky person, the work is still work, but you're happy to do it. You're hungry to do it makes a difference well obviously you've shared that it's it took you 30 years to to get your big grammy recognition which is wonderful and we'll talk more about that and i know you've also written a number one hit for a a jazz artist called spencer so you you've been patient resilient passionate and um committed to to making your journey work but just to bring to life for people the life of a songwriter as you walked out of cafe de coeur got back (laughs) home told your parents what you're up to. What was next? What was that first step? What did it look like? And what was the life that you led? Well, there, there were a couple of, of critical moments. One was coming back to the United States and immediately joining. I was, I was living at the time back near school. So I was living uh, near Palo Alto, California. And I joined a local songwriting organization because as, as I have heard said so many times, when you're beginning a career in music, you really don't know what you don't know. I had no idea how to get from boy, I really like playing in front of a group of people to I want to have success as a writer, as a performer. I didn't know how to get there. So by joining a songwriting organization, I was able to gain little glimpses into what the next steps were. And after being in California for a year, I was encouraged to move to a city that had a music business community there. So either New York or Los Angeles or the place I ultimately chose, which was Nashville. So by going to a place where there are thousands of like-minded people in various stages of their careers, all of a sudden the things that I didn't know that I didn't know started to become clear to me. So I, I could see, okay, I'm fresh off the bus. What are the people like who are five years ahead of me or 10 years ahead of me or 30 years ahead of me? And how does that career look? So it was by surrounding myself with people at all various stages in their musical careers in Nashville, in one of the big music cities that I started to understand where I was in the pecking order, what I had to learn. And for the first two years, that was so exciting. And then for the next three, it was soul crushing because (laughs) you're, you're so excited at first just to be in there with all of these people doing the same thing. And at about two years, the scales fall from your eyes and you begin to see just how far you have to go in order to make music a sustainable living. The thing that most people don't talk about is that for the first five years that I lived in Nashville, I had to have a a day job. There was no way in the world I was going to make a living in music. Now, I was making a living in France and in California, but that's because in, in classic metaphorical fashion, I was a big fish in a small pond. In those towns where there weren't a lot of musicians, it's very easy to make a living performing a couple of nights a week. But when you get to Nashville, where every single venue on every single night is full with talent that is so far above and beyond anything you can conceive of, it's impossible to make a living doing that anymore in town. So I had to go all the way back to understanding that I needed to improve my songwriting. I had to learn what songwriting really meant instead of just hoping that the planets would line up and I'd write a song every once in a while, which is lovely, but 
not a sustainable way to make a living as a songwriter. So there were a couple of really dark years in there when I was just coming to terms with what it really meant to have a career in music. Once I got past that and I understood that I was in this for the long haul and and what the the next steps were, it became a little easier again. I'm not going to say it was easy, but at least I had an understanding of what it was that I needed to do to get to the next level. I think really an interesting point because it is when you do start something new, it is new and exciting and you're the learner. So you have this get out of jail free clause, if you like, where you're not having to make an impact yet. You're the young gun, you're new on the scene and you're playing. And then the rubber hits the road, as you mentioned, a couple of years later when you realize, okay, I'm not new anymore. I now have to swim properly in this big sea. And that road looked hard. And as you said, it was challenging, but you didn't check out. No, no. I mean, my abiding love for what I was doing still managed to keep me in the game, but I would be lying if I said it was was easy. It was not easy. And it was two years there's there are a couple of things that that are, are sort of unwritten rules in Nashville, which is that the people that you came to town with at about two years, there's a big culling of the herd. A lot of those people after two years just leave. And then for the next three or so years, Nashville has been called a five year town for the next three or so years. You're just slogging with absolutely no indication whether you're making any progress at all, which is very difficult on your motivation. But it's at about five years that all of that effort starts to bear fruit. That was when I signed my first deal with a publisher. And I will tell you, even then, it was another 10 years until I had a major label artist on Decca Records record one of my songs. So it wasn't like it immediately got great. It just got better. What you shared was that you'd got to the end of the two years and you saw the next three years that you actually went back and started to relearn or unlearn what you knew about songwriting and and start again. So what what was that like? How did you go through that process? So it was happening sort of, and that's the beauty of being in a town where you're surrounded by so many like-minded people. I was doing a tremendous amount of songwriting collaboration. I was, I was co-writing almost every day. And so what was happening is that I was learning lots and lots of different ways to approach the art and the craft of songwriting. Um, every, every single person that I wrote with had a slightly different approach to writing songs. And so what I was discovering is this stuff doesn't happen by accident. And and it isn't something that you just wait around and hope will happen. There are ways of um, actively going and finding inspiration and then sculpting that inspiration into something that, that not only conveys your message, but conveys it in a way that people want to hear. So there was a lot of just learning the craft and I was learning that with my peers. And of course you're also all of a sudden you can't hear any song without taking it apart in your mind. <laughs> so I was I was constantly dissecting songs and, and figuring out not only that I liked them, but why I liked them. And it was just a process of really understanding the craft. It wasn't like I wasn't passionate about songwriting. I just, <laughs> for a long time, I just didn't really know what the hell I was doing. Well, you were very passionate about it. And, and you, I say what you, you didn't know what you were doing, but I guess you were exploring, you were experimenting and um, learning. And I, yeah. what you shared there about picking pieces apart and what you really like from them, I read um, Questlove's um, book on creativity, and he talks about, I think it was him and um, D'Angelo unpacked. They played, they, I think D'Angelo was, had a creative block 
between his first and his second album. But they went back and they played loads of old songs and then they started to unpack them and start picking out the things they really, really liked about them to bring together to create something new. So it sounds as though it what you ended up doing in terms of unpacking a song and picking out the bits that interested you was a great place for you to start working with. Sure. And a technique I think that seems common or not uncommon in the music world. Well, it's, it's really not uncommon in any creative endeavor. Uh, you're, you're learning how to identify what it is that works, what it is that, that connects with people on a fundamental level. Because one of my big realizations early on is that not everybody who listens to a song is a songwriter. So it's not enough to do something that will please me as a songwriter. I have to be sure that the way that I am expressing myself, and this is, by the way, any form of communication in any context, make sure that the way that you communicate is designed not only to, to communicate what you want to say, but in a way that people will be able to best hear it. Well, and, and also I think what you shared is you picked out bits that were of interest to you. So you worked with something that sparked something inside. You didn't necessarily play with the, the, the technical parts. There had to be something of interest in there to move right, you. Right. Writing from what you know is, is how we put that. And yes, that's always that's always a good approach. Well, you clearly survived the five year uh, cut off because <laughs> obviously 25, <laughs> 25 more years since then. And you've written a thousand songs, I think, within this time frame. Mm -hmm. So now you have a lot of experience for sure. Mm -hmm. And how I guess a question I have is out of those a thousand songs, obviously we shared that you are a Grammy recognized songwriter now on Keb Moe's album. And um, we'll talk about the patience it took for you to wait for that moment, because I believe you wrote the song that was recognized on that album 10 or so years. Of it was about five, five years, years. <laughs> before, before the, the album actually came out. And then um, a number one hit for a, the jazz writer but what are your favorite songs in that 1000 like wh which oh. are the ones it, is there are there any is it the ones that have quote unquote made it or are there ones that are special to you that are for your own your own jukebox it, it's it's a great question you know i i think i would answer that question with with a slightly different observation because i don't have a particular favorite but i will tell you that after having written for as many years and as many songs as I have written, I can assure you that you never know which of your songs are going to connect with people the most or the best. Um, there are songs that I have written in the past that I thought, well, this one certainly will connect with a lot of people, and it just doesn't. And other songs where I thought, well, that was fun. I guess I'll just move on to the next song. And the next thing I know, that song is climbing up the charts, and there's just no way to ever know. I think as an artist of any kind, but certainly as a songwriter, you can get so close to your art that you lose all perspective. And I think that that's most of us. I, I think that, well... With art in general, I think anybody who tells you they know what will be successful or not in advance is lying a little bit. I, I think that there's there's no way to, to really, really know. I, I think some people have a better track record than others, but for the most part, art is art. And, and you never quite know as you're writing it or even as you're hearing it, which songs are going to work their magic in the larger world. That being said, to, to answer specifically your, your question, at various times, I have had songs that I am I am more proud of than others, and then as you continue to write, you those sort of go away and you find new ones. So I, I equate songs with song children. 
So I've had over a thousand song children. And some of those early children I loved very much and I, I doted on them. And after a while, when you had over a thousand children, you're just happy to put another child in the world and move on. I read John Cleese's book about uh, creativity. Mm, so did I. Oh, you did? Just, just recently. I loved <laughs> yeah, it. Because it came out very recently. And they had, uh, he talked about being prepared to let go of your babies in the, yes. in the writing process. Kill your darlings. Yes, that was it. I guess I, I I wrote a children's book and uh, they had it's not songwriting but there is it's playing with language and rhythm and rhyme uh, yeah. but just no musical component um, and um, they there are lines in there that I was pushed on by a, a mentor that I had hired to support and I loved them for me those lines you know just had to stay and she's right. like no. And had I not been prepared to let them go or at least try restructuring and pushing myself to think around it, I would never have got to where I got to. But it can be very, very hard to let something go. So yeah. what what techniques did you do to, to cope with or help you move far forwards and past it quicker to then get to the next one because as you say if you if you hold on too hard and you think that's it or you resent that it didn't achieve what you had hoped for it it would be a very hard place to then come back and start creating again so the energy seems to be right there is absolutely no substitute for just continuing to write and i will tell you another sort of unwritten rule in the music business which is there is absolutely zero linear connection from making the effort to getting the result it is not uncommon at all for me to have written a song and then seven years later something good happens with the song. So if you write the song and then you just wait around for something good to happen, you'll waste seven years. But if you write the song with all of the intention of it doing well, I'm not saying don't care. You certainly want to care as you create, but then you just have to, to know that unless you continue to create, you'll just make yourself miserable waiting for that one thing to happen. And it's it's happened again and again in my career that the result has come many, many years after the initial effort. So my, the way I like to put it is you just have to have as many irons in the fire at a given time as you possibly can. And at some point, if you do that, you'll stay engaged, you'll enjoy what you're doing and good things will start to happen never in the way that you expect. This is probably a, a, a horrible uh, analogy for this, but I practiced yoga a lot and Prati Joyce said that with the daily practice of Mysore Ashtanga yoga, that if you just kept on doing it day in, day out, all would be coming, which is a, a wonderful thing when you're sitting there trying to get your body in a position that you just don't think it can ever physically get into, yet you have to keep on showing up at your mat every day to have a go. And I think what you've shared there is if you have a creative practice or any practice that you're trying to improve or make it with, You've got to keep on coming back to that practice, keep yeah. on learning, keep on moving. And I guess blocking out the extrinsic motivation, the the reward factor and right. going into a place where you believe in what you can do. You're reminding me of my favorite quote, which is writing songs for the money is like getting married for the sex. <laughs> okay. That's a very good quote. <laughs> Oh dear, I'm usually really good at my follow-ups after that, but like, the... <laughs> <laughs> but let's just say that you had deep faith in your ability <laughs> to write songs right. and um, 
were willing to go on the journey. And and mm-hmm. that's why I wanted to uh, front this conversation with talking about you as an artist, because obviously Natural Born Thinkers is about helping people think differently. So mm-hmm. I wanted to tuck into your experiences as a creator and what we can learn from that. So finding what you're passionate about, uh, listening instinctively or res- instinctively responding to those serendipitous moments that take you right. on a journey, playing and having fun on the journey. And, and when the journey gets serious or there's that tipping point for change, really thinking about what might you have to do differently or change about how you approach what you're trying to do to stay the course and right. to win in the new world. And then as you create don't just get stuck on one idea or one darling, as it were, be prepared to move on and see what else is there. Because sometimes when I talk to people about having ideas, I'm always like, you have to have your baker's dozen of ideas. You have to have the ideas that are immediately on the conscious mind, because then it gets difficult. Then you have to start searching deeper within to find what comes behind it. And my experience is typically what becomes behind it is better than what you had on the surface anyway. Because mm-hmm. if we all if we all just went with the first song that we ever wrote off our conscious mind and it made it to number one immediately, like life would be very difficult. <laughs> They're different, yes. sorry. It, it wouldn't be as uh, everyone would just be successful all the time. And, and I, I think the beauty of art and creativity is perhaps lost if that's the case. (laughs) So those are the key insights that I feel that you shared there from a a creative perspective, Mm -hmm. but your, your journey as a songwriter doesn't stop at songwriting. You uh, are clearly, you you know, you did your political sciences degree and say you're clearly a very smart guy and, and then were able to innovate beyond just songwriting and have moved also into production which is a whole other game about essentially bringing the best out of someone else's creativity to produce a product. So what have been your, well, I guess, what was your decision point to move also into production? And what do you think is the making of a great song? Well, so those are uh, slightly different questions, but I'll start with the production one. So, So for me, I had always been fascinated with the recording process. Mostly I experimented on myself for the first five or so years um, that I was in Nashville. But the more that I did that, the more that I started to experiment, again, the benefit of being surrounded by like-minded people. I started to experiment in the studio, working with friends on their projects. And um, production for me, very much like you said, is about helping someone else get out of their own way to achieve their own creative pinnacle. Um, in a way that is very difficult to do on your own. I think a producer, the best way I know how to describe it is a producer to a recording project is like a director to a film. You're controlling everything from the musicians that come in to perform to making sure that the vocalist is relaxed before they sing so that they can give an emotional, sincere performance. It's it's all of the different aspects that makes a recording ultimately what it is. And I, I just always enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed the writing process. And interestingly, what, what I've ended up finding out about that is that, to your exact point, I'm, I'm just very much attuned to helping others be their best. I, that, that brings me great joy. And so that started with production. It has now evolved into next part of my career. Um, but production for me was just a means of, of extending my, my musical reach my guiding principle is how do I get to get up out of bed every day, 
and make a living with music. And production was one other facet of that journey. Okay, one, and you uh, you shared also as you're being that director of people's musical talent that you have to help the artists get out of their own way. Yes. So what are some of the things that blocked them? Obviously you talked about relaxing someone to authentically channel the emotion they want to convey, but what are some of the heady pieces that might be preventing their performance or how do you unlock more from their creative capability, I guess? Well, I think one of the things that most artists who are singing on their own projects are afraid of is making themselves vulnerable because the voice is the single most vulnerable part of who we are. So most singers go into the booth and I, I had the benefit of some wonderful vocal coaches in my own journey. But one of the, the most important lessons that I ever learned was instead of going up to the microphone thinking that you are going to sing, which is immediately scary and immediately sort of shuts you down, I get people to, to tell the story from the lyric. As long as you are telling the story clearly and with emotion, the voice will take care of itself. The moment you go in and try and sing, all that shuts down. But if you go in and you remember why you wrote the song or why the song is moving to you and, and you tell the story from that place, the singing happens. And so it's about giving people healthier, more constructive ways to think about what it is they're doing at the time. I wonder when people first write it and first play it all the way through, that's the best they do it because they're right in the heat of that storytelling. There's a lot to be said for that. Because they haven't yet factored in all the other pieces that can remove them from that creative moment. Uh, as we like to as we like to put it in the studio, I can hear you thinking. The, the moment you hear someone thinking, you know that they're not connected to the original spirit of what it was they were doing. This is not about thinking. This is about feeling. Mm. So you're a songwriter. You know how to bring out the best and help other people write songs. But you didn't stop innovating your music career. Like you talked about your your motivator for getting out today, like out of bed every day. How can I continue to make money in music? So this brings us to the third piece that you've added to, to your musical journey, which is your role as a, a musical educator, I suppose, and um, both to, to people who actually want to write and enhance their songwriting, but also now bringing it into transform mindsets and creative capabilities within the workplace. And this is where we met. So, exactly. And why I wanted to have you on this podcast, because you, you came in to, to help us change the way we wanted to communicate and develop our thinking capabilities. But at the time, you hadn't written your book, which now exists, called Reason for the Rhymes, which is a wonderful read. Uh, we're going to talk in depth about it now. So accessible for anyone listening to this who wants to get ready to write songs, because in it, you share that we're all born to be natural born songwriters. And reading your book and listening to your story, I can definitely see where that's coming from. But could you share in your own words, where did this idea that we're all natural born songwriters come from? Well, I, I think more more generally than natural born songwriters, I, I think of us as, as naturally creative. I, I think part of the human condition is that we are creative. And if you look at children before they are told that they should be productive instead of creative, children are inherently creative. You, you put um, finger paint and a, a piece of paper in front of a child, they're not going to try and maximize the amount of paint to paper or all they want to do is create. Somewhere along the way, we are told, well, that's all fine, but now you need to be productive. 
And if you're going to be productive, you can't possibly be creative too. So let's just get to the business of being productive. And while I understand, and there is real value in productivity, I certainly place a tremendous amount of value in productivity. I also happen to place a tremendous amount of value in creativity. And I don't think one has to come at the expense of the other. So, so for me, I feel like a large part of my work with business teams is, is really, truly, simply reminding people that they are inherently creative. One of the great joys for me as I started to do my work with business teams was these are smart people who have been conditioned to thinking they're not creative. And then all I have to do is show up and give them the rules. Here are the rules. Here's what you need in order to be creative. Smart people get the rules. They start applying the rules and the next thing you know, they're creating and the transformation, the joy in, in the faces when people realize they have actually done something that up until that point to them felt like a magic trick is, is I get a vicarious thrill out of that because it's, it's simply reminding people of a gift that they already have, that they have either ignored or have been told not to develop for could be decades by then. Music is one of the biggest industries out there in terms of where consumers spend a lot of money and a lot of time. And music has been part of, I guess, since, you know, our ancestry as humans, since I think as far back as people have been studying our species. So, mm -hmm. and also music is, uh, again, try to read a bit of brain science coming into this, but I know that how the brain experiences pitch and rhythm and what have you is different but rhythm at the base level that i could understand is when we're inside our mother's womb we hear the heartbeat all day oh. so you know is is our understanding and processing of rhythm an innate capability because we spent nine months in the womb so really when you get to the front of the room there is no reason why people should bulk at the idea of having to write a song and i think what is lovely about the book you've created, Reason for the Rhymes, is you've actually, because in business world, you always have to prove why it's of benefit <laughs> that, <laughs> that you've highlighted how songwriting can enhance your approach to innovation and improve your innovation and creative capabilities. In the book, you highlight seven key techniques, and we're going to dive into each one in more depth, but can you just quickly off the bat highlight the seven key techniques that you've identified that are key in songwriting that help to unlock our creativity. Right, so I, I think of these as innovation skills and, and songwriting, there is an element of songwriting that enhances each of these skills. So I'll start with the skills, which are lateral thinking, creativity, communication, empathy, collaboration, risk-taking, and then the diffusion of ideas. So each of those seven skills are things that are a critical part of the innovative process. But as I was writing the book, I realized that each element of the songwriting process is connected to one of those skills. So for example, lateral thinking, oh, and imagining concepts from a new angle to sort of think differently about them is encapsulated in the way that we develop metaphors in songwriting. Creativity is all about storytelling and the verse of a song, writing the verse of a song is all about the story. Going back to the skill, communication and distilling your communication to just get to the essence of it is what the chorus of a song does. Then there's empathy. And empathy is something that is developed through observation. And songwriting is all about observation. It's what we are observing as songwriters that we then choose to write about. Then collaboration, which is 
something that I have been doing as a songwriter almost from the beginning, which is all about co-writing, risk-taking, which, listen, being brave enough to change something that is working in your business and innovating on it takes a tremendous amount of tolerance for risk. Songwriting teaches you to be vulnerable. Making yourself vulnerable requires you to take a risk. And then finally, the diffusion of ideas. In other words, an innovation that nobody hears about is just a good idea that never sees the light of day. And just like in songwriting, a song that no one ever hears doesn't touch anyone either. So it is the, the performance of that song that mirrors the diffusion of your ideas. Yeah, and um, those seven techniques are, are really spot on. And also what I think they highlight is it, you frame it up, innovation up as, as a practice a lot of time people talk about innovation as a process and you should mm. automatically be able to just go in, have an idea and go. But clearly from what we've learned from you and from songwriting and your art was a, a year long practice that over time you've perfected and enhanced and, and got to where you are now. And this is the same, I think, if you're trying to create your creative capabilities, it's in there. Like we have the the, the brain functionality to do it. We did it, as you shared, as children. <laughs> every day, I just watch my kids, they do it every day. So I know that that's what I did. But society and, and business and um, life gets in the way and, and stops that creative play. So it's about mm -hmm. going back to that place and practicing it again. And, and if you haven't done it for a while, you're going to be rusty. You have mm -hmm. to go through these techniques time and time again to build it. And and what it, I also love about this is it's not some classroom-based creative training. Right. This is right. fun. And you are learning these skills without necessarily realizing it. So I've had the pleasure of doing this with you twice in a workshop environment. Or And what I thought would be fun is obviously... What you haven't shared is how quickly you can write a song uh, in terms of the lyrics and how quickly you can pull music together, which is is like the secret sauce, like the surprise aha moment that comes out of working uh, with you. So I thought to bring to life these techniques of people as we tuck more into them and to show how how easy it is to get started if you don't overjudge yeah. or overthink yourself that this can really be something that you integrate into your daily life, not just in the workplace, but ultimately enhancing your approach to innovation in life. And then you can also transfer it to your business. Yeah. But we agreed at the top of this call that for the sake of everybody's auditory experience in terms of no echo or delay, <laughs> it would make more sense for you to sing whatever we come up with than, than I. So while I was more than willing to be vulnerable in this moment, <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll leave it up to uh, the professional. <laughs> so let, well, let's start then with lateral lateral thinking. So um, reasoning, like solving problems with reasoning that's not immediately obvious. And the key tool that you talked about and you've already mentioned is metaphor. So let's talk about metaphor a bit. What is the, the power of metaphor in songwriting and how can it help us think differently about a problem we might be facing? So, so I think the, the power of metaphor is how, how f it reminds us how fundamentally human we all are, um, especially in business. I think when you work with business concepts that can be a little bit, while they can be clear, they can be a little bit dry and a little bit removed from the human experience. And I'll give you an example uh, from the book, which is I was working with a, a, a business team that was trying to, wait for it, 
coordinate disparate teams. <laughs> now, I understand the concept. It's very clear what they're trying to do, but it, it doesn't make me care about it that much. So we wrote a song and the metaphor was a flock of geese getting together to fly south for the winter. All of a sudden, it's not just getting disparate teams to work together. It's about a group of sentient beings trying to survive by working together and taking care of each other. And to me, that is the power of metaphor. It, it humanizes or uh, goosifies, depending <laughs> on how and you that, look at In that it. example, yeah. <laughs> um, it just makes it much more meaningful and much more real. And to be perfectly honest, much more memorable. So that's what I love about, about metaphor. Yeah, and I think you talked about uh, changing the the rules when you go into these environments, and you you say we're going to write a song. It changes the the, pe pe the rules of what people have been playing in. With a metaphor, you change the game because it becomes a place where you can play and you can talk about these concepts that are very difficult and often very emotional for people, and also the stakes are higher. Um, but you yeah. give them a language to connect with one another in a world that seems a little bit outside of the one that you're you're in. So people let go a bit of of those preconceptions that they might have because you're like, here's a place to play, and and metaphors are a great way of of starting the game. Really loved that, and I, I mean, we joked at the beginning of this call that I was once told that I was a walking, talking metaphor machine, which I'm very proud. To have that badge um, at the time, it was not told in a way that was um, complimentary. But that's unfortunate. I, agree that <laughs> yeah. I think of it as a compliment. Yeah, I know, right? It's like look at all the fun you're missing out on. Um, but ha for people who I I've been in experiences where you know sometimes it's quite hard to come up with a metaphor because you are having to engage the lateral thinking capability, and if people are rusty on it or don't do it every day it can be challenging so what are some of the techniques or skills that you'd recommend that people employ to get more fluent with coming up with metaphor to to describe their problems because this is something that i've run into quite a bit i've come up with a couple of phrases that i like to have people ask themselves as they are thinking about trying to create metaphors so first of all the definition of a metaphor is a thing that is representative or symbolic of something else so just holding that definition in your mind, it's representative or symbolic of your original idea. Then I suggest that people ask themselves, what is an example of, and let's go back to my earlier one, what is an example of coordinating disparate teams? What's an example of that? And then I say to them, complete this sentence, coordinating disparate teams is like, and to give you my earlier example, coordinating disparate teams is like a flock of geese flying south for the winter. So by asking yourself these questions, it sort of sparks the the idea that you can answer that question with a metaphor. Yeah, I really like that. Plus, I'm really impressed that they came up with a metaphor as sophisticated as geese flying south for the winter instead of herding cats, which is the, the traditional <laughs> the traditional term. I guess there's more beautiful imagery that you can play with uh, with geese flying south for the winter. <laughs> but also, right. like really importantly, talk here about don't just think of the metaphor. Like if, if you say to someone, think of a metaphor, like your mind is just like, okay, well, you know, that that's so open. There's no necessary immediate jumping off point. But what I love about what you shared there, which I think would be really helpful for people is ask questions. <laughs> start mm -hmm. with some questions and then that will start to help open your mind and give you more opportunity to go hunting for metaphor. And right. um, 
let's I guess let's play with that now. So the first step in your book is you're going to write a song, you know, pick a topic you want to write about, and then pick go with the metaphor. So. Uh, we should disclose to people who are listening to this podcast that we haven't pre-written a song together. This is purely you and I uh, collaborating now on a song. The one thing right. that we did pick ahead of time, though, was the title. Well, the the reason for the, the rhyme, concept, the, the concept of our song, which was starting a business. Right, which is a perfect concept from my perspective because it is it is clear what we're talking about. It is obviously a complicated topic with a lot of emotion attached to it, but it's also a very dry way of describing it. Starting a business does not make people immediately get excited. <laughs> However, it's, it's critical because many people do start businesses. And if you can figure out a way to think about it more metaphorically, I think it will add some, what we like to call in my business, some juice to this <laughs> and make it, make it more exciting and more interesting. So right, our concept is starting a business. And so playing with that now, like a question that I ask myself, um, it, obviously being in a space of starting a business, and you've been in, in the position of starting a business, is how do I feel in this moment? What does is, what is starting a business feel like? And it feels, uh, you feel very vulnerable, you feel uh, very opportunistic, um, you feel ready in some ways, there's something that led you to believe that you could start a business. So I think you come to the table with something and uh, you feel ready for a change. So I would ask the question then, what is a symbol of starting a business? What is something that represents starting a business? In other words, um, starting a business is like, any ideas, Sam? What are, what are some examples of what is like starting a business? What's a metaphor for starting a business? So I guess I go in my mind, and I'm also sat here looking up at a picture of the ocean, which might be um, unduly influencing my perspective on this, but it feels like you're out beyond the break, paddling, watching the, the environment, the ocean begin to build, and you feel you're preparing yourself ready to catch that wave. I love that because basically what you're saying is the metaphor is being on a surfboard out in the ocean waiting to catch a wave, right. which is so much more emotional and visceral and meaningful than I'm starting a business. So let's let's use that. Let's let's just go with that. So the metaphor is um, being on a surfboard uh, in the ocean waiting to catch a wave. Right. I love that. Okay. So okay. we have our metaphor. Okay. So then that brings us then to step number two, which is creativity, which is, I guess, difficult sometimes for people to chunk into because it comes to that belief set that you talked about. I'm not creative. So therefore, how can I do step two? But, you know, those people who would call themselves creative are really kind to us in that they share with us what some of their approaches are to getting into the zone that allows them to have different ideas. As a songwriter yourself, you did reference that you went to places that were of inspiration to you, but can you share some of the techniques that you use as a songwriter to open up your imagination and let the ideas come through? I think this is a great opportunity for me to talk about some of what I refer to as the rules of verse writing, because that is where this creativity comes from. I, I think First and foremost, verses live and die by imagery, 
by details, concrete sensory details. So the way I like to put this, and we've all heard this expression, a picture is worth a thousand words because what we're effectively trying to do is tell a compelling story in a very, very short amount of space. Another way that, that we put this in songwriting is we need to show them, not tell them. And the example that, that I was taught when I was learning to write songs was instead of describing a woman as uh, evil, but still alluring, <laughs> you would describe her as a black heart in a green dress. So that's a very visual, very show them way of telling a story. So the way that I would look at taking this metaphor and turning it into a story is let's just think of together maybe five or six different visual images that are tied to being on a surfboard in the ocean waiting to catch a wave. So so, so what are some images that come to mind, Sam, when, when you think of those things? So uh, the building surf, you've yeah. got the, 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 um, the crash of a wave and the fear, the fear of like literally crashing out and burning and not catching the ride. Um, right. You have that, like I just feel I here's a, I guess more of a visceral one about just having your legs dangle down beneath the board and not knowing what's underneath. That's wonderful. Uh, and I might even throw in things like the sound of the seagulls and, you know, the warmth of the sun on your back. Th those sorts of things um, really make a difference in terms of helping your listeners connect with your story in a very human way. Um, so. What I usually do at this point is um, we've got our metaphor being on a surfboard in the ocean, waiting to catch a wave that represents what it feels like to start a business. So what if I create the first line of the verse and then I'll challenge you, Sam, using imagery to find a line that goes next that rhymes with it. OK, so so if I'm going to start telling the story, what if it's something like and I, I love what you said about your legs dangling down. What if it's I'm sitting on my surfboard? my legs below the waves or my legs beneath the waves. So what I've done for you is I've created an, a waves rhyme. <laughs> Great. <laughs> there's I a lot that rhymes with waves. <laughs> I bet there's something in there. And I know a guy if we run into trouble. So I'm sitting on my surfboard. And you know what? Um, my legs. Um, oh, I have a better idea. Let's be a little more poetic. Just a little. I'm sitting on a surfboard, my legs dipped in the blue. Okay. So that's the first line of our verse. I'm sitting on a on my surfboard, my legs dipped in the blue. Where do we go from there, Sam, with a blue rhyme? I'm I'm looking out to find my break. I love that, by the way. Wondering what I can do. Absolutely perfect. <laughs> wondering what I can do. So let's just go back and forth. I'm sitting on my surfboard, my legs dipped in the blue. I'm looking out to find my break. Wondering what I can do. I can hear the sound of the seagulls. Um, they're, they're there to cheer me on. <laughs> and now we're looking for an on rhyme for this last line of our verse. The next wave that rushes in is the one that I'll be on. <laughs> That's great. The next wave... <laughs> that rushes in is the one that I'll be on. Now, I, I will tell you this right now. I love the message. We are rhyming on with on. Oh, we have so, on already. Okay. So what if it were, I'll give you the word and then you can finish the phrase. What if the word is gone? Gone. Yeah. 
then the next wave that rushes in one or some yeah one blink and then i'm uh or i i, lo I love that what if it's one blink and then i'm gone one blink and then i'm gone yeah right because what we're effectively doing is we're telling a story we're out in the ocean we're getting ready to catch this wave we can hear seagulls we can picture the blue ocean and the surfboard and the and the waves are rushing in i think we've told a little story here so it might be time for our chorus so so i'll let you cue that up oh gosh okay um oh well then let me before i do that let me explain a little bit what a chorus's job is because that comes into the next piece about your communication i think because that's right and then maybe this is a good point just to reflect on just that process because what I think that really helped do is you took creative, the word creativity didn't really, like wasn't the guide here. The guide was tell a story and telling a story. Okay, fine. It's an, a lost art form, I think somewhat in how we communicate nowadays with one another. I think um, storytelling isn't, I think even myself, I, I definitely am not as good a storyteller as, as I, I desire to be. But once you frame it as a story, there are so many more tools to play with because you play with imagery as you talk about emotion and then the wording themselves. So the constraint of a rhyme and using language to to create sound as well, how it feels in the mouth. Like when I was writing a children's book, they also talk about the rhythm and then imagine how that sounds in the mouth. and when you have that concept in your head you're not thinking about how can i create something you're thinking about how can i develop a sentence that feels really good for someone to say so um i really like how you come you come down from the word creativity and take it into a place where there's lots of rules and tools for people to to use to help them and hopefully people right. could see uh, and it, a promise to the listeners we have not done this at all this is live development you can see once you take it down into a story and sitting on a wave you're you're working with something that you might have done i mean i've surfed i mean i'm not good but i've surfed so i have material to work with so that basically covers the storytelling and the verse writing chorus writing is about distilling the main message of your song or any communication for that matter into something that people will grasp and understand very quickly. I like to describe the role of the chorus as tying the, the message to the end of a big bat and then beating people with it. <laughs> it's, it's very simple, it's very direct, it's very clear. And oftentimes you will create what is called a hook. And a hook is, is a bit of lyric that figuratively hooks your listener's attention and helps them remember your song. Um, so, if I'm looking at our story now, we're sitting on a surfboard and we're waiting for the break and we can hear the sounds of the seagulls and then we're as that wave rushes in, we're gone. What's the message here? The the main message of the song is what, Sam? What 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 is the overall thing that we're trying to tell people or summarize? I can't wait to find my break or I just have to take this break or, you know, cause when you're with a business, you're trying to make it and trying to get a breakthrough. So it's just trying to play, yeah. I guess with the word surf break. So what about the idea that you're, you're going out and looking for a wave or you're going to find your wave because that's ultimately what this is, right? Yeah. We're, we're trying to, so, so what if the first line is I'm, I'm going out to find 
my wave. And that's just, that's it. Like that is our message. So if that's the message, let's support that with the second line of the chorus. If the first line is I'm going out to find my wave, what's the next line? And ride on my big break or? Sure. How about it? And take a ride. And take a ride. On my big break. Yeah. Then we've got two more lines. Um, and let me, I'm going to use a little device that I, I call um, cheating, <laughs> which is I'm going to a website called Rhyme Zone, and I just found the word. So I have found a word that I think is going to rhyme beautifully. And by the way, I'm going to give you another songwriter tip. The first line of the song is also, or of the chorus rather, is our hook. Right. So I'm also going to make it the last line of our <laughs> chorus. Because that's how you hammer home your main message. So the chorus so far is, I'm going out to find my wave and take a ride on my big break. Now, I've got a rhyme word here, Sam, but I'm going to let you finish the third line. Okay. What if the rhyming word was brave? Brave. Oh, okay. Okay, so I don't have to rhyme with break the last two. Okay. Um, I can do this if I'm brave. There it is. That's it. It's that simple. So let me read you the entire chorus now so that everybody understands what just happened. Um, I'm going out to find my wave and take a ride on my big break, which is sort of a near rhyme is what we'd call that. I can do this if I'm brave. I'm going out to find my wave. And that's the chorus. That is the message of the song. We have effectively taken this metaphor of being on a surfboard in the ocean waiting to catch a wave. We've told a story about being out in the water and hearing the seagulls and waiting for the wave. And then you tell people in no uncertain terms in that chorus through your communication that that's what starting a business is like. It's like going out to find your wave. See, and this is what I think is just so wonderful about songwriting, because if we go into the business world where people, you know, you say we're going to do songwriting today in the workplace. And we talked about how people might have a strong reaction to that. We've all been in meeting environments where we've all been trying to find the right words to communicate something. What was it? That disparate teams, connecting disparate teams, right? Right. Which right. Has, is it, two very nice words with no emotional attachment and no visual Correct. imagery for people to connect with. And then we, so maybe we've actually said what the problem is. So basically, how do we get people to connect better together? <laughs> and yeah. And someone's like, that's too simple. We've got to we've got to sound more intelligent. We've got to go beyond. But if someone told me that, I would be much more connected to the problem than we've got a coordinated disparate team issue. I think it's harder <laughs> to be simple than it is to be complicated. And and it reminds me of the great quote. Uh, I believe it was Mark Twain who said, "I would have written you a shorter letter, but I didn't have time." So it's the distillation of your message and the simplicity of it where the power resides. And I think that was also a, um, a quote that you had in your book about how, you know, the most intelligent is to be simple. The more simple you can be is actually a, a greater sign of, of thought that's gone into it rather than putting like going onto a thesaurus and like chunking up the, the biggest words you can find. <laughs> Agreed. Absolutely. Positively. Agreed. 
So, so we've so now we've done lateral thinking. We've uh, done metaphor. We've done communication, which is the storytell. Uh, the, the, sorry, the, the creativity was the storytelling. We've done the, the the chorus, which is our communication. And now we so basically we've written our song, um, which we can either do now or wait till we get to the vulnerability bit. Although it doesn't really work for you because it's not really a big risk for you to take at this point. It's a bigger <laughs> risk for me. Um, <laughs> it's like the the fourth point that we get to is empathy. And, and and I think that is baked in to what we have done because empathy is about observation. And what we have done by writing this song is to observe a surfer and what it takes to go out and make yourself uh, available to the ocean where it's uncertain when the next wave is going to be. So it is the simple act of observing this, this character in our song that in its own small way develops and refines our sense of empathy with the subject of the song. Mm. Because we've obviously done that very quickly here. We are moving pretty quickly, but we knew what we were coming in to do. So we're very focused on it. That sometimes when there's a challenge in front of you, there is a tendency to look very quickly to what's the answer rather than taking a moment to pause. Think of this metaphor or look around you and observe what's going on. I think you had shared earlier that I think it was the the analogy used about women wearing the green dress to a woman with a black heart in a green dress. That was it. Mm-hmm. And and how also you shared when you would I think there was earlier on that you would look out around the streets to find inspiration or just look out at the world, taking the mm-hmm. time to observe with an open mind, not looking for what you want to see, but just looking and noting things down. I think is something that's also really key about what you're sharing here to help enable the creative process. Because if you truly observe something, it gives you a lot more material to work with. We call that in songwriting, going on input. Okay, so we have to start going on input more. Like there should be, instead of sitting around a board table, hashing out something and throwing ideas out on post-it notes, it's like send everybody outside and just observe what's in the streets or like put people in purposeful places to observe what's relevant. But I, I really loved that point as I was reading your book about the power of observation. And I think we're going back to my Netflix journey and watched, uh, is it sound, uh, Song Kicker, I think it's called, um, where they explore artists' creative process into developing some famous songs that are out there. And I absolutely fell in love. I really liked the song, but I hadn't heard it till I watched this three hour drive by Alicia Keys and and Sampha collaborated on that. And talking about empathy in a big way, they sat down and the riff existed. The producer had already shared, here's the sound, here's the music, Um, but they didn't have the words. So then they went on this lyric developing journey and they thought three hour drive sounded good with what was there and that's what the music made them think of. So it was very sense-based how they arrived at the lyrics. And then to move the song on, they, explored and empathized with the emotion that was in the room because Alicia Keys had just had a baby and she was in the UK and her son, I think, was back in the US and she missed him. And then Samford had just lost his mother. So there was a different set of emotions around um, missing someone in the room. But as soon as they empathized and brought that emotion into the song, it really moved the song on because they realized that people listening to your point about making a connection with the listeners, which we're coming to the next points, is that what someone might be thinking of in a three hour drive could be very different to another person, depending on where you are in your life. 
And I just love this example of bringing how emotion can move a creative project on because emotion is not something that's talked about or overly encouraged within a workplace. <laughs> um, right. But, y- you know, if you're telling a good story, I think every story has emotion in it, right? Um, that's how you connect with people as part of a human process. Well, I think if the story is related to a, a powerful metaphor, I think the emotion can get baked in for sure. Well, and, and this brings us to the next technique, which is collaboration, which you've shared, you've done a lot of in your time with songwriting collaboration. And mm-hmm. obviously Alicia Keys and Samfer collaborated together and, and created a powerful song, um, which is, I guess, my cue into this piece. <laughs> but what, what do you see as the benefits of, of collaborating and songwriting? And what do you think has to be in place for it to be successful? Well, I think collaboration at its best is when people are allowed to play to their strengths. So when I started uh, songwriting, lyrics for me were a little bit more natural. It just felt like something that, that came a little bit more easily to me. And I thought, because I could sing well enough, I thought that I also was just fine at melody. What I didn't realize until I began to collaborate is that there is melody and then there's melody. And when I started to pair myself with really gifted melody writers, not only were the melodies better, but the words sounded better because they were hanging on more beautiful melodies. So I think when I look at collaboration and co-writing in our instance, I think it's when people are able to play to their strengths and then defer to those who are stronger in other areas, what you end up with is something that it, that is better than you could have done on your own. And so to use a very powerful example, without you looking at a picture of the ocean on your wall, we don't have this metaphor. So I deferred to you and got this beautiful metaphor. And, and that is something that I wouldn't, I'm, I'm sitting here in an office a uh, hundred miles from the ocean. So I'm not going to think of that right away. And, and that's the beauty of collaboration is that everybody brings something to the table. And if the trust is there, you end up with something better than you could have done on your own. And it's, it's, I, I have seen that time and time again. But this is the essence of Natural Born Thinkers, why I have the brand and and this podcast for Natural Born Thinkers, is that no one brain is alike. Uh, Our genetics and our life experiences have formed a neural landscape in our head, which is completely unique to anyone else's. So essentially, we are very capable of having an idea that no one else can. And as as soon as you, you you recognize that about yourself and the other people who you're working with and create that space for people to share that divergence or that difference basically and how we come to the table with our rich life stories and I sit down to listen to it you know that's half of the battle so when people are thinking or afraid of their ability to be creative uh, I find sometimes people defer naturally to the most creative person in the room the person who's practiced in it and it comes very naturally or seemingly naturally to them but actually by just deferring to that individual, they're not allowing themselves to express what's unique about themselves. So agreed. that's the vulnerability piece that you, you talk about in your book as well. Like you have to be with songwriting, you know, A, people might feel uncomfortable because they're doing something that's very business, not as usual, and they can't immediately see the business value that they'll gain from it. <laughs> um, right. B, they're going to have to expose themselves in terms of, having a go at something maybe they've never done before and challenging their creativity that perhaps they don't believe they have. And then four, they have to sing (laughs) live in front of their work colleagues. And again, 
you know, again, that's another thing you have to practice to be good at it. So, um, but the vulnerability of you aren't willing to take that risk and go above your comfort zone or outside your comfort zone, you don't know what world exists beyond your current comfort zone, if that makes sense. If you don't take a step outside, you don't know what lies beyond it. So um, I really love how vulnerability is part one of your key techniques. I think it's it's critical for another reason as well, which is making yourself vulnerable puts you in a in a flow state because the distractions fall away. When you make yourself vulnerable, when you step out of your comfort zone, you are no longer easily distracted because you're you're in that it, it engages a little bit of the the fight or flight instinct in you, which which focuses you in a way that not only helps you pay close attention to what you're doing. But ultimately, and, and you alluded to this at the top of the podcast, because it's been at least three or four years, Sam, since we met and did that first song, and you still remember it. Yeah. It makes the work that you do memorable, and memorable in a way that if I said to you, we're going to spend the day looking at a PowerPoint on coordinating disparate teams, that's gone in a week. But writing a song about it, or writing a song about starting a business, but thinking about it from the point of view of catching a wave, that's going to stick around. Well... And, and in that vein, to make it stick around, like I, I guess this would be a really good opportunity uh, to to play our song. <laughs> yes, the the soon to be enormous hit. Oh. Um, I'm going out to find my way. And so, so what I usually do at this point in my workshop with business teams is I ask the collected group of people, "What is the genre of this song? Um, what does it feel like to you? Is this a country song? Is it a blues tune? What is it, Sam? Oh, uh, well, do you know what? As you said that about how it might be a hit, I kind of felt if someone like Jack Johnson did it, it could be. Okay. Like banana cool. banana pancakes made it. So. <laughs> All right. So let, let's see if I can do a little finger picking thing like a, like a Jack <laughs> uh, Johnson. So. That kind of little. Yeah, there you got it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> So let's see what happens here. I'm sitting on my surfboard, my legs dipped in the blue. I'm looking out to find my break, wondering what I can do. I can hear the sound of the seagulls, they're there to cheer me on. The next wave that rushes in one blink and then I'm gone. Going out to find my way. Take a ride on my big break If I can do this if I'm brave I can do this if I'm brave I'm going out to find my way Brilliant! Hooray! <laughs> and my audience goes crazy. <laughs> uh, well, I think what it proves is just a how talented a music writer that you are <laughs> that you can you can basically pick a tune and, and attach it to the lyrics but also hopefully proves to people how accessible this tool is and all that you can learn from it the more you practice it i know on your uh, instagram account you do a haiku a day which is essentially uh, uh, lyrics um and with a rhyming structure uh, mm -hmm. so i guess when i see you do that i'm like ah. Oh, Cliff's practicing his art like it's your daily practice to keep your hand in the game. Um, That's exactly right. I write a haiku every morning um, and I do it because one of my favorite poets in the world, uh, Billy Collins, uh, describes haiku as a way that he keeps himself sharp. And so I thought, well, how fun is that? It's, it's 
three lines, it's five syllables, seven syllables, and then five syllables. And it's just a great way to wake up that little seed of creativity every morning. And I actually brought one in anticipation to this podcast. So would you like me to read you my haiku? I would love you to read your haiku, please. So today's haiku is, scared to write your thoughts. What's the worst that could happen? You're already done. Brilliant. That's it. Yeah. That's the whole thing. Well, and, and, and it's hard not to, I, I mean, I'm looking at additional questions that I had for this podcast, but I think that hike just to prove how if you can brilliantly summate key messages in a simple way, how quick it is to make a connection. Because my question for you is, how do you stay fresh? And what are some of the lasting words that you'd like to share with people on this podcast in, in terms of getting them started? <laughs> I think the haiku you shared just does that. <laughs> I, I agree. It is, you know, creativity shouldn't be this monumental, terrifying thing. It is something that we all have. And, and to be perfectly frank, my, my primary job when I work with people on their creativity and exploring their ideas is to help them get out of their own way. It's, it's all in there. And I'm, I'm just there to really facilitate the process. And it's also a lot of fun which doesn't hurt either. Oh, for sure. And the connection that you can make uh, as you do this with people. I mean, I was thinking as we were coming into this, all the places I've sung with people and, you know, even at the yoga shala when you're doing the opening chants, that when people come into the room, everyone's come in with their baggage of the day. There's no coherence or connection in the room at all. It's just people on their mats on their own. And once you've done the opening chants and you do the final OM, everyone's in sync. It's a great way of creating connection and alignment and being in a moment with someone. So I think it's, uh, I, I mean, people who are thinking about what's the value for this for my business. Well, if you have an immediate story or message that you're trying to think about how you want to share it. I mean, I think we've just shown how quickly through a songwriting exercise that you can crisply get to that, that message and a story that can connect. Um, and also for people to develop this practice of creativity to enhance their role in innovation in the workplace. Everyone talks about creativity now being the top skill that folk need to have. Right. <laughs> just outside of your of the workplace, just in your life, if this is something that you're looking to develop, which is the whole purpose of this podcast is you are a natural born thinker, you're a natural born songwriter. Just find mm. the tool, find that thing that you put in your arms that you latch onto like your guitar, find that tool that's going to unlock this creative potential that you have inside. That's it. Well, Cliff, this has been a, a wonderful podcast. And I, just thinking about catching the wave, what's the, the next big wave that you're hoping to catch or, or be on as you continue your musical adventure? Well, for me, now that the book is out, um, I am really looking forward to, as the world comes back around, I'm really looking forward to getting up in front of people again and doing the workshop. I've done certainly uh, plenty of virtual workshops, but there is nothing like being in a room and connecting with people that way. So for me, the next wave is going to be getting back in, in front of business teams and helping them do this work. And in terms of your book, I've been privileged enough to receive a copy to 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 prepare for today. How might people listening to this be able to access that? So it's available uh, on hardcover via my website, thereasonfortherhymes.com, or it's available as a Kindle book on Amazon. So it's it's out there for sure. 
Okay. And then to visit the reason for the rhymes to find out how they might be able to contact you and your, because you can run, I think we've proven that you can run your workshops currently in a virtual setting. Obviously, it's 10 right. times better for everyone. I think everyone would like to be in person with anyone else <laughs> that that, yes. that they don't live with yes. currently. Um, so <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> um, I think you can run these virtually for people. And um, hopefully, I think in the room at some point. Yeah, it's all it's all out there. I'm just waiting for the world to open back up. Cliff, thank you so much for taking the time to be on this podcast. I've certainly learned a lot. I've also had a lot of fun. And I, I hope we've uh, woken up the songwriters out there who were just looking for that cue to get them going. Well, thank you, Sam. It's been a true pleasure. And thank you for such great questions. And, it, and it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Natural Born Thinkers podcast. More information about today's guest and any of the resources shared during the conversation can be found in the podcast show notes. To find out more about Natural Born Thinkers, please visit the Natural Born Thinkers website and follow us on Instagram at Natural Born Thinkers. Today's show was produced by Force 9 Audio and podcast graphics were designed by Carl Gamble. Natural Born Thinkers is at the beginning of its journey and thank you for joining us on this adventure. Until the next time. 